the most famous uh, passages in the whole of the Gospels, Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. I'm going to read that, uh, and then I'm going to make some comments, and then we'll come back to it. If you've not got a Bible, don't worry, because uh, I'll, I'll read it as per the words on the screen, and it's from the New International Version. So it says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And the crowds heard about this and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those that needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowds away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging Because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied to them, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves and two fish. Unless we go out and buy food for all the crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But Jesus said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Taking the five loaves and the two fish... And looking to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And God will bless his word. Now, this is the final uh, uh, message in the series the blessed life. And uh, we've been impacted uh, and uh, inspired and have also sought to reference the facts of the teachings of Pastor Robert Morris. We have probably only done this a couple of times, but we've taken some of, if you like, his outline material and tried to make it relevant to us here in Arena Church. Christian particularly uh, has done a great job in sort of tagging with him and uh, drawing him in through video casts on two or three occasions. And uh, this particular teaching in Arena Church, we've sought to minister with balance. Just in weekly news, I tried to communicate to us the importance of balance. It's not about mediocrity. It's not about the lack of faith. It's not about doom and gloom. But the reality is that it work, life works best in balance. I don't want to be on a plane with one wing, you know. Um, you know, I want to be on a, a, if I'm going somewhere, I want to sort of know that it's balanced. Those of you that love accountancy will know that you need to bring balance to the accounts. If they're skewed out, then we have a problem. And we've also sought to bring this ministry without coercion, desperation, or manipulation. We don't want to minister ever with those attitudes in arena because they're not the occupants of the house. The truth is that the primary sense of what we've tried to communicate over these last few weeks is that the blessed life is inextricably linked to a giving life, to a generous life. If we're mean-spirited friends, if we're always holding to ourselves, if we're ever thinking about me, I want to suggest it's unlikely that you're going to be blessed in the way that God intends But if we can free ourselves up to respond to God in the ways that he's articulated in the scriptures, then increasingly we position ourselves to be blessed. God wants us 
to be blessed. There's something about a blessed life. Because a blessed life does not keep it to itself. A blessed life becomes contagious. A blessed life ministers. A blessed life touches others. A blessed life reaches out in ministry. So a brief reminder, we started with the heart. Because out of the heart come the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23. Then we were challenged to pass the test. And sometimes those of us that have been on the journey of faith for a time think we've passed the test. And then God speaks again to us. And we realize he's presenting another test to us. And we need to pass it. And then the first, making sure that what we give back to God is not an afterthought, but it is the first. And we sort to share about that. And you need to, in your own walk, however you do it, ensure that you are giving back to God the first. The powerful thought about tithing is it's not a tenth, it's the first of what we've got. And by the way, as Andy reminded us in another context, that Abraham got a sense of giving back to God to the, the order, the priest Melchizedek, 400 years before the law. Tithing, friends, is nothing to do with legislation. It comes out of revelation. When God touches your heart and changes you forever, you begin to implement something in your life that allows him to bless. Number four, we asked ourselves through John chapter 12. And Mary pouring a year's wages of anointing oil on Jesus' feet. Am I generous? Christian wrestled last week with that difficult subject of money or mammon. Reminding us that we can only serve one master. When we say that Jesus is Lord, that's exactly what we're saying. Jesus, you are the master of my life. It's impossible to serve two masters. Uh, you, you, you inevitably bring division to your life. And God doesn't want us just to have Jesus as our saviour. If I can say it, the great curse of the Western church. Oh, I like him to be my saviour. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. He wants to be the master of our lives, the Lord of our lives. He wants to take control. Now, we all like addition. But multiplication is a lot better. And so, the final message tonight is on the principles or the power of multiplication. Let's take the number five. Five plus five is ten. But five times five is twenty-five. Five plus five plus five is fifteen. That's good. But five times five times five is a hundred and twenty-five. Which is a hundred times more than just the addition. You can see our multiplication works. It, it goes forward in a quicker way than simple addition. In the New Testament, initially, there was additions. Jesus said, I'm going back to the Father's right hand. I want you to tarry in Jerusalem to wait for the power of the Spirit to come upon you. It's what the Christian church celebrate at Pentecost. It's not just a day to celebrate, friends. It's a life to live. The fullness of the Spirit within us. And the Bible says that in Acts chapter 1, there were 120 people in the upper room. And the Spirit of God came upon them in power. And Peter stood up with the 11 and preached a mighty message. And the people heard it. He says they were touched. They were moved in their hearts. And what shall we do? Going back to Julie's point to the notices, repent and be baptized. It was a marker of something that had shifted in their hearts. And that day... 
3,000 people responded. So now we've got not 120, but 3,120. That's addition. That's great. But Dr. Luke was inspired of the Holy Spirit to write the book of Acts. A man that would give attention to detail, would be forensic in the way that he approached his life in terms of treating people, caring for them, bringing medical assistance. But by the time we got to Acts chapter 6, he'd given up on addition because it says in verse 1 of Acts 6 that the disciples multiplied. We don't know how many, but it was thousands and thousands of people that were being impacted by the good news of Jesus. And he'd given up counting because the growth of the church had moved from additions to multiplications. I'll come back to this later, friends. But the enemy has locked us up in the UK to only ever believe for additions. It's hard in Ilkeston. It's hard in Mansfield. Well, it is. But it's hard in Manchester. It's hard in Newcastle. It's hard in Leeds. It's hard, friends. We've got 56 million people that haven't even gone to church today. They're doing all sorts of things. And uh, worshipping at all sorts of places. It's hard everywhere. But the reality is that we begin to believe it's always going to be the same. But God's been working. As you heard from Mark tonight, and I believe that was prophetic, Mark. Many seeds have been sown. One plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. And if we're not bothered about who gets the glory, and we're not, God can find people that he can give the increase to because it's not going to go to anybody's heads. And we have, we have limited ourselves to believe for addition. We thank God for additions. We thank God for baptismal services. We thank God we've had three baptismal services in this building since we opened it. And every one of the people that got baptized are precious to God and to a, a, a changing and going on with him. We don't despise the day of small things. But you know something? If we don't despise the day of small things, God wants to find somewhere where he can give people big things. Because we've moved forward. And we have to come to a mindset that says we are not just content with additions. We are believing God for his kingdom to multiply. And that means there won't be enough room in this place when God brings multiplication and Christian will be very happy to lose count. Say, oh, Julie, I'm not bothered. You know, where the metrics have gone wrong. We're just multiplying. We're just multiplying. That's the heart of God. I'll come back to it later out of the power of where, where that happens. So we get to Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> a, a very well-known story shared many, many times in Sunday school and youth gatherings often called the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Those of you that did Arena Bible Training School last year, we know that we did the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that are very, very similar, lots of parallel passages, and then John sits sort of a little bit on its own. But here's the only miracle that's not only in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but also in the Gospel of John. And as you piece them together, we've not got time to read all four of them tonight. As you piece them together, God gives a picture. Now, I've had people say to me over the years, you see, that's the reason I don't believe the Bible. Because different people in the Bible say different things about the same thing. And they think, well, I see contradictions. Well, don't worry me, I'm glad that's the case. Because the, the Holy Spirit took hold of human vessels 
and used what they were in spite of him to bring us the record of the scriptures. So tonight, we go out of the building across Leeming Street. There's a car at the traffic lights. There's a youth coming down here faster than he should. He's not looking. He thinks the lights are going to turn to green. Straight into the back of the car. It's not a prophecy, so don't worry. Um, But straight into the back of the car. He says, well, I need to call the police. I mean, you're totally out of order, mate. And and then he'll say to a couple of people, would you help me? Can I take your name and address because I need help? So Andy sees it and Josh sees it. And Andy sees it, and the police officer arrives and says, Mr. Richardson, can I just sort of... And he gives a slightly different account to Andy, to Josh. The, man, the, the police officer records it all in his uh, record book. He goes back, he produces uh, a statement of the situation, and we get the whole picture. It would be weird if Josh verbatim said exactly the same as Andy. That would be weird. I want to tell you, friends, if Luke had said exactly the same as Matthew, and Matthew had said exactly the same as Mark, and Mark had said exactly the same as John, that would push me back on inspiration, because that's weird. But when God gets hold of people and uses them and brings the whole thing together, that's God's. That's the Bible. So here we've got four accounts, and I'm going to add a little bit to the Luke account, But it struck me that this is mentioned four times. Hello, church, we need to take notes. There is something about this miracle that we need to take notes. I'm going to run through it very quickly. It says there that the disciples returned from what they have been doing. They've been sent on a mission tour. Jesus said, I'm calling you to myself. I'm giving you authority. So they come back. They meet with Jesus hey, Jesus, you know when you said to us, if we just reach out and pray for the sick and uh, believe in God, we've been praying for people. We prayed for this woman that was crippled. She got up and walked. It was incredible. And you know when you said, when we're going to towns and we'd sense the powers of darkness, yeah, we came across some people that had been troubled by the powers of darkness, and we prayed for the kingdom to come, and we sang that song that Julie Turner launched at Arena about there being no fear. And the fear went immediately. It was amazing. And we got completely set free. And so they begin to tell the stories to Jesus. Can you remember the first missions trip you went on? It was, you know, you come back, just fall of what God had done. So they find a quiet place, Bethsaida, where Jesus is talking to the disciples and they're doing a debrief about the missions trip. Aha. But the crowd heard about it. And the crowd ran. They thronged towards where Jesus was. Bethsaida being north of Galilee. And uh, they, they, uh, they wanted to be near Jesus. Now we've got these amazing words in verse 10. It says that, sorry, verse 11, Jesus welcomed them. Isn't that, isn't that the Lord at his best? He didn't say, we am I clearing off because I want to spend time with my mates. I don't know who's told us that we're here, but we don't want anything to do with anybody. Just shut off because we're having a private party. He welcomed them. He preached the kingdom of God and he healed people that needed healing, which is an expression of the kingdom of God. Healing, friends, is always expressing the kingdom. Physical healing, healing from from the powers of darkness, healing that frees our mind, healing that sets us free from fear. It's the kingdom of God coming, the rule of God coming in our lives. And so we get to verse 12. Now it was late in the afternoon. 
Now, I'm telling you this with hindsight because there are people here that have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years and they say, of course, we knew Jesus had come through with a miracle. But I'm trying to set the context of living in it as the disciples. Let's forget the hindsight that we enjoy reading the Bible backwards. Let's try and read it in the Bible at this precise moment. Late afternoon and the people were getting hungry. Aha. The only way I can describe this is to use sharing as an example. So we've been married 37 years next month. And uh, a man who's now with Jesus said to me, just before we got married, let me give you a piece of advice. Yorkshire lady, straight down the line, boom, you know. She says three things. Number one, make sure she keeps warm. Number two, make sure she gets plenty of sleep. And number three, don't let her get hungry. Now, guys, happy wife, happy life, you know, and, uh, and uh, so I've done my best. But occasionally, it's gone wrong. So when the kids were young, Alison and, and Miriam, not young anymore, we'd go on holiday. So three women and a blow. I want to get there in one go. I mean, women stop at service stations, not blokes, you know. So we want to go to the service. So anyway, we're going along. We want to do it in one go. And all of a sudden, I sense the hunger pains in the car. And my daughters, are they not like their mother? Oh. So there's this atmosphere developing in the, in, the, in, the, in, the house, in the car. And guys, it's just not worth it. I'm telling you, don't try and do it in one go. It is not worth it because it will spoil the whole holiday. Chiefly services just off the M4 was my oasis every time we pulled over. And then I'd watch all the cars going past that I'd passed in the previous half hour and feel really... Sur- <laughs> but they had something to eat. And life was sane again. And the atmosphere was renewed in the car. Now then, 5,000. In Matthew 14, 21, it says 5,000 besides women and children. In the context of the Jewish culture, it was often only the men that were counted. Bible commentators believe there were probably over 20,000 people that had gravitated to Jesus' ministry They'd done it spontaneously. They'd not thought about taking a brolly, even though it poured with rain like it's done over the weekend. They didn't take a packed lunch. They just wanted to be with Jesus. But now it was late afternoon. There's a clock on me. There may have been a clock on Jesus, but he was taking absolutely no notice of it. He was going to preach the kingdom. And the people were getting hungry. And the disciples were with him. Their meeting had been ruined, by the way. So... You know, probably Peter was nudged to say, can you just sort of get Jesus to just stop for a minute? Um, and uh, they got, they got uh, Judas Iscariot to do the notices. Okay, so he, he came and did, Jesus, these people are hungry and yeah, have been going on a long time and it may just be an idea to sort of time to clear off and get lodgings and food and everything and then we can go back to our meeting. Okay, Lord. And uh, Jesus just carries on and... And uh, they go again, and we get these amazing words from Jesus. In uh, verse 12, he says, you give them something to eat. And I believe, friends, that prophetically across the earth and in our nation in these days, that is something that Jesus has been saying to the local church. He's been saying it to Arena, uncomfortably so. But in the last number of years, increasingly, 
As we've believed for God to supernaturally change people, we've also understood that he's very interested in people's natural needs. Hungry, literally. The food bank project in Ilkinston started because of the uncomfortable truth of people on the doorstep of our church that were literally hungry as the 2008-9 recession bit deeply into our needy community. And of course, we respect and champion the food bank projects around this town as well that have sought to respond in appropriate ways. But that's where it started. Yeah, we wanted people to be born again. We wanted them to be regenerated. We wanted them to be saved and filled with the Spirit. We wanted them to be gifted of God. But Jesus said also, you give them something to eat. And bless me, clubs, churches that just want to be blessed. Sadly, friends, have little interest in responding to Jesus' call to give people something to eat. So they looked around, and there was absolutely nothing until John 7, 9 reminds us there was a little boy. The only reference to the little boy is in John's gospel. And his mom, with forethought, had sent him on the journey to see Jesus with a packed lunch, five loaves and two fishes. And the disciples went back to Jesus and said, Jesus, <coughs> um, yeah, you know, you sort of said about giving them something to, to eat. Uh, you know, every, everybody sort of just ran to you. Even we didn't think about preparing for lunch because, you know, we didn't think you were going to go on until late afternoon. You know, we just thought it was going to be a quick 15-minute message. Uh, and, you know, everyone's getting hungry, Lord. Uh, they're sharing in the crowd. There's Miriam, there's Alison. I mean, you know, uh, there's, there's 20,000 of them, Lord. He's, you know, it's getting tense. And all we've got is five loaves and two fishes. So perhaps you will dismiss the crowd and let them find their lodgings. And Jesus, Jesus says, tell them to sit in groups of 50. Oh. So Peter comes back and says, guys, I've tried, you know. But he just said, tell the people to sit in groups of 50. Guys, can you sit in groups of 50? I know you're getting hungry. I know it's getting... T- but if you just sit in groups of 50, Jesus is going to sort it all out. Okay. So they take the five loaves and the two fishes to Jesus. He says he looked to heaven. He reached out to his father. He broke it. It says that he distributed it to the people. They were all satisfied, and there were 12 baskets left over. Amazing. What were the 12 baskets for? I don't know. Please don't collar me at the door. But one Bible commentator says it was just a basket each for each of the disciples for blessing him in faith. I don't know. But what I do know is, friends, that when we taste and see that the Lord is good, he always satisfies us. And what I do know is that the blessed life brings an overwhelming supply. And we see it here. Now, Bible commentators of a more liberal persuasion have argued that all Jesus did when he prayed for the bread was to sort of nudge people that had got plenty of food to share it with others. I think that's absolute nonsense. There's no reference anywhere in the gospel, friends, to any of the crowd being prepared with food. They'd rush, they just rushed to be with him. This was a supernatural miracle of God. Jesus, friends, just breaking open, breaking open, breaking open, breaking open. And here's the truth. When we want to live the blessed life and make him first, it may seem that we're giving a little, five loaves and two fishes. But in kingdom economy, Jesus will make it a lot. You see, sometimes we're arguing and we've not even given him the little. But if you will give the little of your life, however puny and pathetic it seems, in the cause of the need, 
Jesus will use it in an amazing, amazing way. Two things to close. Number one, regarding the offering, the five loaves and two fishes, it had to be blessed before it could be multiplied. What if the disciples had said to that little boy, hey, great guys, we're all right. We still need to send the crowd away, okay? And they'd eaten the five loaves and two fishes. It would have not have been blessed. Impossible to be blessed. If they'd have withheld or some of the language that we've heard deliberately, powerfully, and provocatively through the ministry, if they had have robbed, then it could have not been blessed. But they, they, they gave it back to the Lord. They realized that however little they had, they needed the Lord to bless it. And what if they distributed it before it had been blessed? It would not have been blessed. When you bring the first to God, when you bring from your heart what God is calling you to bring, when you pass the test, then you position yourselves to bring whatever you bring to God to be amazingly blessed. Number two, the offering, the five loaves and the two fishes had to be given away before it could be multiplied. The young boy, as we've said on a couple of occasions, could have said, mine, 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 mine. And found a little place where he would have just ate his lunch, but he gave it all away. The disciples, as we've already looked at, could have taken it to themselves, but they gave it all away. If you watch the concluding part, if you get a chance to see any of the video material, you'll read about Pastor Morris going through an experience in his life where he gave it all away. In balance, he is not saying that's the journey of everybody, but it might be for some. What God is saying, friends, is that he wants us to give all away that rightfully belongs to him with an expectation that God will bless it. You see, maybe in the whole area of giving to God, you're still trying to work it out. You're bringing your logic. You're bringing your cynicism. You're bringing your way of doing it. It won't work like that. It's an act of faith. And if you'll give all that you are meant to give back to God, it positions you to be blessed and for what you give to him to be multiplied. Jesus did do a miracle. All the people were satisfied and there were 12 baskets left over. One of the folks in our church this morning says, fellas, you're talking about multiplying. I was taking notes in my Grow notebook. The three words that we wanted people to live with this year. Reaching, multiplying, influencing. As I close, I want just to bring an illustration, friends. <clears throat> There's nothing to do with Anything with respect to do with Pastor Morris, but it's something relevant to Arena Church. See, I was thinking to myself, how best as a church can we ready ourselves for multiplication? And it comes out of the power of synergy. Not only unity, 
which we're passionate about, but synergy. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And here's how it works in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 30, he says, one shall chase a thousand, but two, you may think two thousand, no. One shall chase a thousand, but two shall chase ten thousand. And the thought came to me that if we can position ourselves, bring ourselves together as a local body of believers in synergy with our giving back to the Lord, who knows how God can multiply what we give to him. See, synergy works in so many aspects of life. We've been celebrating the official birthday of our wonderful queen this weekend, 90. Uh, she seemed to sort of indicate today in a speech she'd like everybody to move on. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, what a wonderful opportunity to honour Her Majesty. In the year of her coronation, 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary scaled Everest. We know lots of people are going up Everest nowadays. It causes all sorts of environmental issues. But then... 29,200 something feet, it seemed impossible. The highest peak in the world, people had died trying to get there. But out of a team and out of Sherpa Tenzin, uh, the great Nepalese uh, uh, aide that went with him, they got to the top. They did it out of synergy. The, the, the reality being that the sum of the parts became, became uh, the whole became greater than the sum of the parts. The humility of Hillary is extraordinary, not just in that instance. But the photograph on the top of Everest was not of him, but of uh, Sherpa Tenzin, because Tenzin didn't know how to work the camera. Uh, and Hillary was saying, well, it's got to be me. You know, I, I've led the expedition. It's got to be me. He took it of his mate. And then, of course, they needed to get down before oxygen ran out. What about Tiger Woods? Won 14 golfing majors and several years ago. Of course, he was going to beat Jack Nicklaus's record of 18. He was going to kill it. And then certain things took place in his life that are not for me to articulate here. Injury as well. But when he was winning majors, when everybody else, by their own confession, was frightened of Woods on the... On the you know, Woods turned up. He was going to win. He had synergy with the guy on his back, Steve Williams, his caddy. They were hoovering up the, 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 the opens like it had gone out of fashion. Then they spectacularly fell out. Lost that synergistic relationship. And the rest is history. And I want to encourage us tonight, friends, to realize that when you bring your first to God, out of the motivation of your heart, when you pass the test, when you continually commit to being generous and making Jesus the master of your life in how you give, when you understand all of that, you bring a synergy in giving. When the guys and girls take up the offering, when we bring our mercy offering to the Lord, we bring a synergy that positions us not just for addition, but for multiplication. Where one shall cause a thousand to fly, but two, ten thousand. And so I encourage us, friends, as we conclude this series, to continually navigate our hearts, to continually pass the test, to continually make him first, to respond to being generous, to serve one master, and to give all that God has asked us to give to be blessed. And then I sense we'll catch the attention of the Lord like never before. And he says, you know what? I can sort of come to that church 
And not only bring additions, but multiplications. The need of our society, friends, not only global, but in this community that we represent on this Sunday evening in this North Nottinghamshire town, is huge. Mark would tell you some of the issues that he sought to minister into over many years in youth and kids. Pastor Mike, that's labored in this town for many years, the challenges of the gospel, we understand it all. I want you to feel tonight that this is not just hyperbole, friends. It's not just the preacher getting pumped. But if, you can, if I can say it with humility, that there's a prophetic dimension to what God's going to say as he brings us to the end of this ministry, that our honoring of him in what we give back to him, out of a synergy of heart, positions us to see the kingdom go forward, not just with addition, but with multiplication. And for us to have the persuasion, the knowledge, and the joy of knowing that we're living a blessed life. Let's pray. As the band come to prepare...